0: we are going to begin um i don't usually do this but we're just going to read uh the scripture for today uh we're doing we're working through um blood as a theme uh leading up to the blood of christ on good friday for lent um and all the different ways that we we understand the blood of christ today we sang about um precious is the flow and i think that it's easy to lose um a sense of what the blood of jesus means and so we're going through these different themes um so in Genesis 15 this is not the first covenant in the Bible the first covenant in the Bible is uh, God makes a covenant with Noah not to hurt the earth uh, ever again and puts a bow like an archer's bow in the sky pointed at himself and it's profound as if to say I will never I will never do this again and, and here's the proof I've made myself vulnerable to the consequences if I do um, but this um the blood the blood of the covenant theme comes out in Genesis 15 <clears throat> so Abraham um, has been promised uh, some stuff that seems impossible uh, he's like a great-great-grandfather age, like 90 and up, and yet has no children, has no land. Um, he's like a, 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 yeah, he has no land. He has no citizenship. He's not, um, he, he's a stranger everywhere he goes. And so there's a lot of loneliness and, and disconnection and, um, you know, nearing the end of your life. You can only imagine, he has lots of reasons to doubt God, and yet, there's this powerful moment where, um, it says in verse five, he, being God, brought Abram outside and said, "Look up at the sky and count the stars, if you think you can count them." He continued, "This is how many children you will have." Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. No, oh, this is the CEB translation. He said to Abram, "I am the Lord." who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. So he's standing as as an immigrant on this land that belongs to another people group. So it's kind of a profound promise, like this will be your home one day and you will be, this is your land. One day I will give you this land. But Abram said, Lord God, how do I know that I will actually possess it? And I love this because at first he's like, look at how many children you will have, billions and billions of stars. Abraham's like, great, I believe that one. And also this land that you're on will be yours. What? How will I know that? It's weird. I think it'd be more believable that this land could be yours one day than that at 99, you'd have all these children, but here we are. Lord God, how will I know? How do I know? So God says, and what he's about to describe here is, I will make a blood covenant with you. Bring me a three-year-old heifer or a female calf, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. He took all of these animals, split them in half. So uh, that this is a very um, bloody scene, if you can imagine, something like this. I'm not sure if anyone here has ever helped butcher an animal. Okay. Michelle was here. Kyle, yeah, 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 you, you've you It's bloody. I was thinking of Kyle, because he worked in a butcher shop, I think, for a while, so, but he's not here right now. Um, so so he, he cuts them, he splits them. It, that, this is really a strange, strange story. Um, he took all these animals, split them in half, and laid the halves facing each other. Um, he didn't split the birds. I'm like, well, really? So I was like, which ones to split? I would be like, well, maybe we don't have to split the cow, but the birds is too much work. I, I don't know. So we did not split the birds. And so you can imagine this scene, there's a lot of um, blood. There's like, this is a very kind of gory scene. So naturally what happens is birds of prey start coming down. Um, and so uh, Abram has to go and like get rid of all the, the, the vultures and the birds of prey vultures swoop down on the carcasses. Abram waved them off now after the sunset. So this year, this is Abrams. Like, what am I doing? Like, there's all this blood everywhere. There's like vultures and birds of prey all over. Like what's going to happen? It says in verse 17, after the sun had set and darkness had deepened a smoking, uh, sorry. Um, here I have, after the sunset, Abram slept deeply. A terrifying and deep darkness settled over him so it's like God puts him to sleep which is strange after the Sun had set the darkness had deepened and a smoking vessel with a fiery flame passed between the split open animals that day the Lord cut a covenant with Abram to your descendants I give this land from Egypt's river to the great Euphrates so this is a strange story There's a lot of blood, if you can imagine, in this story. Though interestingly, in the ancient world, um, this would not be so unusual as it feels for us today. This is actually a very common way uh, that covenants were cut. Uh, So an ancient covenant, or another word to say is an ancient treaty, um, would be cut um, pretty regularly between, say, two partners, um, two different people. And it's kind of like, if we join forces, imagine what we could do together. Um, the reason that they would, there would be the death of an animal and the blood of an animal involved is to symbolize um, the heaviness of the agreement, the heaviness of the covenant. That this isn't just some quick little off-the-cuff agreement you make, that like this is a legally binding lifelong covenant. It's for life. And the death of the animal symbolizes that like this. as long as we are alive, we are bound to this covenant. So that the death and the blood sort of symbolizes the gravity and the weight of the agreement. A covenant uh, is a partnership. So maybe one king and another king would get together and cut a covenant with animals and it would agree that like if this other nation invades we could join forces and put our armies together and protect ourselves against them. So now no matter what ever happens between us if that nation invades we are partners like like they could have different agreements or like if we you know all sorts of reasons why in the ancient world this was why they would have a covenant ceremony a covenant cutting ceremony essentially it's a partnership. It's a way of saying we could do more if we work together than we could on our own. So between two unique others, uh, they enter into a covenant, and it's very serious. Normally, when you enter a covenant, it's not just something like you and your buddy do, you know, outside the restaurant because it's like "Uh, I forgot my wallet. Could you buy my meal? I promise I'll pay you back. And then you like cut a rabbit. Like, see, I promise. Like, it's not just some quick. That'd be great though. Like, not not killing rabbits, but like I promise I'll pay you back, and I really mean that. Um, it's actually usually a very serious ordeal. It could take weeks or months to prepare and there would often be witnesses. Um, just like when, um, two people get married, um, that is a covenant and you have witnesses. You have a a best man or a maid of honor or, or, or someone like this who, who bears witness. They sign that contract, um, to say, I bear witness to this sacred covenant that has begun today, uh, (laughs) so like I've witnessed you do it. So you can't lie and say, well, I didn't really promise. That I would love you forever. It's like I saw you. You did. I. I witnessed this. So um, it's very serious, and it's profound here that God initiates this with Abram. So an ancient reader would have immediately recognized this as a a covenant ceremony that God initiates. And Abram's like, "How will I know? How can I trust you, God? Are you trustworthy?" And God says, "Here, (laughs) let me cut a covenant with you." It's profound. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, God is always the one that initiates the covenant. And the covenant is actually what drives the plot of the entire biblical narrative. Um, Covenants uh, from the old into the new, and we'll see at the communion table today, is about the blood of the covenant. In God's covenant, every time, whether it's a covenant with Noah, with Abram, with Moses, with David, God's covenant is always about restoring shalom, or restoring peace. It's always about preserving justice and righteousness. It's always about um, restoring the earth back to the goodness, the goodness of God's dream for creation. Um, So as as you remember, the Garden of Eden, everything is good. There's no shame. There's partnership. There's equality. There's abundance. There's like harmony. Um, But then uh, the human heart (laughs) longs to, I guess, unravel God's beauty into kind of chaos and violence. And then God cuts a covenant to restore from the chaos back into harmony and shalom. So um, it's important to note that a covenant is different from a contract. Uh, Some people might think, oh, yeah, covenant's like like you think of a wedding as a contract or maybe, I don't know, your mortgage. (laughs) It might feel like a blood covenant with the bank. (laughs) For the rest of my life, I am in debt to you. Um, But a covenant is very different than a contract. If you think about it, a contract is very much about me getting the most sort of bang for my buck. Um, You you have a whole legal system in place to try and find loopholes in contracts, (laughs) right? It's like, I entered a contract, I signed a contract with the bank. And now I'm really concerned about me getting my share of the deal and trying to find loopholes so that you don't quite get as much of the deal as you might want. Um, So I have a contract with my landlord. And my landlord and I aren't friends. I mean, I'm a Christian. We should be, I suppose. But really, it's often like, call the landlord, you have to fix these things. And the landlord's like, you have to pay more rent. And so it's always who can get the most out of the agreement. And often, you know, a relationship with a landlord can fall through and both parties feel like the other party didn't hold up their end of the contract. Um, A contract is often about me getting what I want. Um, In a contract, I can look for loopholes, exceptions, and I can always find some legal way to get out of it. A strange memory. When I was 17, I wanted to sign up for a membership at the gym, but you couldn't sign up for a membership unless you were 18. So 17-year-old Nikayla lied and said, I am 18, I just forgot my ID. So I signed and then when I couldn't pay, the contract, because like I was very short-sighted at 17, and three months later, I was like, wait, I don't have $40 to pay for a gym membership. I'm not the same person I was three months ago. I don't want to work out anymore. I just called them up, and I was like, well, I'm not actually 18, so contracts void. 17-year-old signatures aren't legally binding. And the gym was like, oh. So then that staff got in trouble for letting a 17. 17- anyway, totally my fault, but that's how contracts work. It's like, I'm going to try and work it for me. My covenant, however, is different. A covenant is about the partnership. A covenant is about a shared purpose, a shared vulnerability, a faithfulness, a generosity. Um, Me and my landlord do not have a shared purpose and a a dream and a vision for this property and my flourishing and her flourishing. We don't have that. Um, But David and I have a covenant. What kind of marriage would we have if it was a contract? Like, I'll respect you and love you a little and watch the kids 50% of the time. And then you got to do yours. And if you break your end of the deal, I'll break mine. Like That wouldn't work. It doesn't work. Um, a contract is not a covenant. <clears throat> so I want you to notice something here. An ancient covenant is always about, um, you can go to the next slide, it's just a picture. Um, a covenant is always about two people or two, two partners entering into a covenant. And, and typically in this cutting ceremony, both parties would walk through the parts. Uh, it's almost like an aisle. Like, like, think of an aisle like a wedding. Both people would walk through that like, bloody aisle as a symbol of like, ooh, this is life and death. But this is a very unusual um, covenant cutting ceremony because Abram doesn't walk through the parts. If you noticed, um, God put Abram into a deep sleep. And then as it got dark, this smoking fire pod and this like, flaming thing, which throughout the Old Testament is often a, a symbol for God's presence, um, only God walks through the parts. So an ancient reader of this story would be like, wait, this is shocking. Abram didn't enter the covenant. Abram didn't walk through. Culturally, it's very much expected that both of them would walk through. And by walking through together, like two kings, or two soldiers, or you know, two people, two, two, a married couple, you both walk through. You both you know, say the vows and put the ring on your finger or what have you. Um, and typically, both of you doing it together, it's as if to say, may nothing but death separate us. May nothing but death release me from my commitment to this work that we are about to embark upon together. May I become like this heifer or this goat if I should become unfaithful to this treaty. But interestingly, Abram doesn't walk through. And that's theologically quite a profound uh, thing to read, because it's as if God doesn't want Abram to walk through, because God already knows that Abram will be unfaithful to the covenant. God already anticipates. He's like, whoa, 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 I don't want you to walk through this part. I don't want you to promise me your life that you'll be faithful because I don't want you this to cost you your life because I already know you won't be faithful. It's incredible and it's sort of bothersome, but then I was thinking about it a couple days ago. I have a four-year-old son named Raven and I love him so much and I imagine if, if, if I was God in the story and Raven was Abram and I was like, hey buddy, I'm going to take care of you and love you and, and work for your safety and prosperity my whole life, I promise. Um, And I want you to obey me and trust me and and sort of do what I say so that that can happen. And and what kind of a parent would I be if I made Raven enter into a blood oath with me? Because I know he's four years old. He is going to disobey and disrespect and get it wrong and stumble and fail a million times. So it's as if saying, I will walk through the parts. I will make a blood oath with you, little one, that I will love you and care for you and work towards your flourishing for the rest of my life. I would walk through those bloody parts a 100 times over to make it clear that I will do anything for your safety and flourishing. But I forbid you from walking through the parts because you are a child and you will do it wrong. And your love is not as trustworthy as mine, and that's okay." God doesn't let Abram walk through the parts. God anticipates Abram's unfaithfulness and takes the blood oath on Abram's behalf. It's quite profound. Um, It's a great risk. God binds God's self to the family of Abram, knowing that Abram will not fulfill his end of the covenant. And yet God does it anyway. Um, In Hosea 11, there's this really powerful text where um, sort of the people of God have experienced this great suffering and, and they're trying to make sense of like, is it because God's angry at us? Or like, why is this bad thing happening? And in Hosea, um, God speaks and says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? My heart is turned over within me and all my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God, not a man. I am the holy one in your midst. I will not come in wrath. He's like, I'm mad at you. Like, you you guys have seriously been unfaithful to this covenant. You have sowed seeds of violence. When I begged you to sow seeds of peace, your harvest is violence. And uh, I, I really want to get mad and just start again. But how can I give you up, O Ephraim? I already knew you would be unfaithful. And I walked through the parts. I am not a man that I should seek vengeance on you. I am God. I will not come in wrath. In Isaiah 49, um, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the child of her own womb? Even though these may forget, I will not forget. If you remember, and this we'll talk about this next Sunday, um, in, in the book of Exodus, the burning bush, uh, from the bush God speaks and says, I remember my covenant. I remember it. This is hundreds of years later. I remember my promise to be with these people. I'm here now. I've heard their cries. Moses, let's go get them. You can read the Old Testament story and ask yourself, how much unfaithfulness before God just gives up and says, I'm starting over? You follow the story to the end and you see the answer is never. Because God is bound by the covenant. God walked through the parts. Unconditional, positive regard. Unconditional commitment to the covenant. God says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my faithfulness to the covenant. In Isaiah 54, um, Amy, you quoted the two Isaiah verses that I have here. I was like, this is amazing. In Isaiah 54, it says, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills may be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor shall my covenant of peace, or the Hebrew word is shalom, be removed, says the Lord of all compassion. And in Isaiah 55, he says, give ear, come to me, listen. I am making an everlasting covenant with you. Partner with me. Imagine what we could do together. Uh, Dave King was commenting last night that um, in the New Testament, Jesus is called on the head of the church, which is profound, because it means um, part of the same body, that there is no Jesus without the church. (laughs) What a risk to attach yourself that deeply and profoundly to a people group and say, there is no me without you. And there's no you without me. And my faithfulness will outrun your faithlessness. Partner with me, God says in the covenant. I'm going to move into your neighborhood, and I'm going to love you like I love myself. I will teach you faithfulness. I will show you forgiveness. I will bind up your wounds and through you healing for the whole world. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like a parent to her four-year-old. I already know you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes and make a lot of really bad choices. But I'd walk through these parts every day to show you that my love is trustworthy, and I am on your side. So here we have in the biblical text a covenant in God. It's quite profound. It's quite a risk that this almighty, all powerful being could make a covenant. Come, he says, let's make a treaty together. This is one reason why I awakened as land acknowledgements on Sunday, because we are treaty people. We are bound by a treaty that our ancestors made in this land, and that treaty should mean something. And really beautiful, in the biblical, in the Old Testament, um, the witnesses of the, of the treaty ceremony. Um, it says in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah, the witnesses of the covenant. Does anybody know who are the witnesses of the covenant that God makes, the blood covenant? It's the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, the sky and the land will be the witnesses. All of creation will bear witness. The heavens and the earth will be the witnesses. So the maid of honor, the stars. The best man, the rivers and the plants and the tree will bear witness to this eternal covenant. And it's as if God says, your one job is to trust me. To trust me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk with me. Learn from me. Take and eat. Each of you, this is my body. (laughs) This cup, a new covenant in my blood. It's really amazing what happens at the communion table. Um, if you've ever read the Gospels, you know that the followers of Jesus are fickle and flighty, and they get it wrong most of the time. They don't understand. All the way, even after all the miracles they witness, they grumble and complain. They think that Jesus is going like, to suddenly pick up arms and overthrow Rome, I suppose. I, they, they, they get it wrong all the time, more often than not. They're in a deep sleep while Jesus is up praying through blood and tears. <laughs> he drinks the cup, even though he doesn't want to. He is faithful. And so, this blood of the covenant piece that you see um, Jesus say at the communion table is a reference back to uh, Abram in Genesis 15. I will walk through the parts, and you don't. Because I already know that you're not going to believe me all the time. You're going to doubt all the time. You're going to make choices for your, in your favor all the time. I know that. I'm not angry at you. I love you very much, and my covenant is everlasting. Um, in Luke 22, actually, I want just sometimes we just kind of read like the three verses of the communion table and we don't look at what's going on in the bigger picture. And I wanted to just um, remind you of this um, briefly. In, in Luke 22, it says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. We'll talk about that a bit next Sunday. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then the enemy entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. And Judas went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. They were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus to them when no crowd was around. When the hour came <clears throat> at, the, at the supper, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup uh, after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, is a new covenant in my blood but see the very next verse the one who betrays me is with me his hand is on the table and um spoiler alert it's all of them they all betray him for the son of man is going as it has been determined and woe to the ones by whom he is betrayed then they began to ask each other which one of it of us which, which one of them would would be the one to betray him So then, and I love this, this is unique to Luke's gospel, a dispute arose among the disciples right then and there, as Jesus is saying, this cup is a blood of a a new covenant. A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said, this is Jesus, is like, you guys are missing the point so hard right now. The kings of the Gentiles lord over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the least. The leader must become like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Here's Jesus serving. Take and eat. He's not saying, feed me. Where's my food? He's saying, take. You are those who stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you just as my father has conferred on me a kingdom. He looks out, you're all going to betray me. I already know that you're all going to doubt me. I already know that I've, I know your unfaithfulness, <laughs> I'm familiar. Take and eat all of you, that, your scarcity will not move my generosity. Your faithlessness does not shake or compromise my faithfulness. I love you because I walk through the parts, not because you're good enough or because you're worthy of it. I love you because my love is pure and and eternal. And so it's looking out at these disciples who do. They all scatter. They all betray him. He says, and I confer on you a kingdom. Because it's about the generosity and the faithfulness of God, not about how easily the humans will doubt and despair and walk away, run away sometimes. And so the Romans arrested Jesus that night. They crucified him the next like afternoon, believing that his blood, the bloodshed of this man, would serve as a warning to all who would dissent, to all who would resist the Roman Empire. They didn't know about the God who bleeds. They didn't know about a God who binds the brokenhearted in his own blood, who enters sacred covenants with his own blood. They didn't know about a God who shows radical faithfulness. They don't know about a trustworthy God, the vulnerable God, the risk-taking God. They don't know. They've never heard of an oath-keeping God. The great kings of the great empires don't have to do anything they don't want to do. And yet the God that we see revealed in scripture takes a great risk, suffers greatly, binds himself to people who he knows will doubt and betray and sow seeds of violence, and yet he walks through the parts and he pours himself out. And that's why at Awaken, at the communion table, we do open communion. We say, even if you don't believe in any of this stuff, this is for you. Even if you haven't believed in a long time, even if you're working it out and you don't know, it's for you. It doesn't matter. This is the, the generosity of God. Take and eat all of me. You don't need to take a little crumb. Feast. Take and take and take until the generosity of God confronts the scarcity that guides most of us. Because this is me for you. I made the oath. I walked through the parts. And so the blood of the covenant is a binding, It's a binding covenant that literally binds our God. Loving God, um, may we stand for even a moment uh, in awe of your faithfulness. And may our imaginations for a moment be shaped by it. May we begin to imagine what faithfulness would look like in this community. A faithfulness to one another through thick and thin, through difficulties and in times of great joy. May we imagine being faithful as you are faithful to people who are difficult to love. May we imagine for a moment what it would look like to be faithful in this neighborhood. To forgive Boness and love Bonas and um, may our faithfulness um, outrun the bike thieves <laughs> and the, the car uh, rummage throughers. Give us faithfulness to this land. May our faithfulness to Treaty 7 be like the faithfulness of our God. I ask that you would shape us again by your faithfulness. Sow seeds of peace within us and make us people who sow seeds of peace. We know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we don't um, earn this, we bear witness and we are shaped by it. And so we pray, um, particularly for Bonesse, for the people who are sick, ill with addiction, um, to children born into that in Bonesse. And we pray for our community that is both local and global. We ask that um, Christians around the world, whether they are Russian or Ukrainian, they would be melting weapons down into gardening tools We pray that your covenant of peace would outrun and outlast our doubt, our despair, our anger, our desire for vengeance. Soften us again, I pray. Here at your table, where we feast on your flesh and your blood, make us people of faithfulness. Make us people of the covenant, I pray. In the name of our crucified Messiah, our brother, our Christ.